Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 27 of Genesis chapter 8. We're beginning to read in verse 20. And Noah built an altar unto Jehovah, and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And Jehovah smelled a sweet savor, and Jehovah said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Well, we've been looking at verse 20 statement that Noah builded an altar unto Jehovah and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And we've seen how that is very fitting. It is um, appropriate to have in view for the coming out of the ark, which pictures the day of transformation for the people of God leaving this world and entering into the new world, just as all coming out of the ark were, for all intents and purposes, entering into a new earth, a vastly changed earth from the one they knew previously. And it is the foundation of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, his atonement that was performed, the Bible tells us, at the foundation of the world. And Christ's sacrifice itself is the basis for the foundation for the world, this present world and the world to come. And, and, and so, um, since the historical picture is pointing to the entry into the new heaven and new earth, we see the very first thing that God has Noah to do is to build an altar to offer sacrifice and to do things as all sacrifices were a demonstration of the one acceptable sacrifice that the Lord Jesus Christ performed at the foundation of the world. And and so with this action, Noah is picturing that Jesus's atonement for the sins of his people which is the only reason they're they're being brought into this new creation uh, because their sins were paid for by that sacrifice, that that is the foundation. It is the foundation for eternal life, for the um, eternal future that the people of God will enjoy in the new creation. The altar, we know points to Christ himself. The book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, 
tells us of the souls under the altar. And I'll turn there quick so we can read that verse in Revelation 6, 9. It says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Now, these souls are in heaven. They're, it's only their souls. They have no bodies because they are a people that live their lives on the earth. And it says they were slain for the word of God. They, they died on the earth. And so their physical bodies are in the ground somewhere. And the Bible tells us that when a true believer dies, their body goes into the ground, but their soul or spirit goes to be with the Lord. So they are saved people who are only existing in their souls, waiting for the redemption of their body when God works that out at the end of the world. And so they're in heaven, and yet we read of the altar. I saw under the altar the souls of them. And that's because the altar is a reference to Christ. It, it's not a literal altar in heaven. And it's a figure of speech to represent that they are covered by the blood of Christ as Christ's blood was shed upon the altar as Abraham historically laid his son Isaac upon the altar and raised the knife to slay him. Well, he did not. God stopped him. But what that typified did happen as God the Father raised the knife and slew his son at the foundation of the world and spilled his blood. Of course, that's all figurative and God separated from God. God slew God in a mystery we can never understand in eternity past, at the foundation of the world, and, and we have a difficult time understanding even that. And the blood was shed, and that blood, as it were, flowed down the altar, and here are the souls of God's people under the altar, covered by the blood shed upon it. And, and that's the picture. So that when we read of an altar in this new world, this new creation, which is the spiritual picture, of course it's still the present evil world. Uh, when Noah comes out of the ark, the, the world itself is the same world, but the way the Bible speaks of it, there was a first earth, and and the implication is, the world after the flood is the second earth, and it points to the new world. And in this new world, we find an altar. Just as there was an altar in heaven, there there's nothing surprising reading about an altar in which sacrifice has been performed, and as these clean animals are laid upon the altar. It, it, it points again to the sacrifice of Christ, which is uh, in God's sight eternally. God is forever viewing 
that acceptable sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And speaking of acceptable, we read in Isaiah 56, beginning in verse 5, Even unto them will I give in mine house, and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to Jehovah to serve him and to love the name of Jehovah to be his servants. Everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain, that would be the kingdom of God, and make them joyful in my house of prayer, their burnt offerings, and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. For mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. So we see God accepts the sacrifices upon his altar over a few chapters in Isaiah chapter 60. Also in verses 5 through 7, it says there, Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentile shall come unto thee. The multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. All they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of Jehovah. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together unto thee. The rams of Nebioth shall minister unto thee. They shall come up with acceptance on mine altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. And here in this passage, the Lord is speaking of the sons of Ishmael, and the Bible indicates that a, a good number, a, a great number of sons of Ishmael were saved and counted among the great multitude that came out of the Great Tribulation that concluded back on May 21, 2011. But, but the language here, they shall come up with acceptance on mine altar. Again, they will find acceptance with God. The uh, sacrifice will be accepted on his altar, and that altar is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we read back in Genesis 8, in verse 21, And Jehovah smelled a sweet savor. After Noah builds the altar, he takes of every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings upon that altar. God's reaction is that he smelled a sweet savor. Now, that reaction or response from God is indicating the sacrifice is acceptable. Uh, we, we see the opposite of that in Leviticus chapter 26, beginning in verse 28, Then I will walk contrary unto you, also in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters shall ye eat, and will destroy your high places, and cut down your images, 
and cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols, and my soul shall pour you, and I'll make your cities waste, and bring your sanctuaries unto desolation, and I will not smell the savor of your sweet odors. You see here, it's language of God judging his unfaithful people, a corporate body, Israel of old, the New Testament churches and congregations. And part of the judgment, a huge part, is that God will not smell the savor of their sweet odors. He will not accept them. They're not accepted in his sight. And that's because the Lord Jesus has departed from them. And without Christ, without the altar, you you cannot have an acceptable sacrifice that will be pleasing to God. We read in Amos chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies, though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them, neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. We, we can see the connection between God smelling something and accepting it. As we read in Genesis, he smelled a sweet odor and God refusing to smell something and not accepting it. As it says here in Amos 5.21, I will not smell. And, you know, we we shouldn't think this has to do with, you know, an actual aroma arising to the nostrils of God so that he smells like we smell. No, God uh, doesn't have nostrils in that sense. It, it's all spiritual language, figures of speech, uh, and to smell the aroma is an expression that is indicating he accepts it. It's kind of like when there's a, a nice meal cooking and the odor is permeating throughout the house and you take a deep smell and and the aroma attracts you it's very desirable it it is acceptable to you and we've also smelled things that are very unacceptable to us and we refuse to smell them we we shut our we put our fingers on our nose and and uh, make faces and and turn away well that's the idea with an acceptable sacrifice and The only acceptable sacrifice is Christ's sacrifice as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And if Christ has made sacrifice on our behalf, then God, uh, he he opens his nostrils. He he smells sweet odors. It is uh, like the finest of perfumes. It is very pleasing to him and extremely acceptable. On the other hand, if anyone, and we see this everywhere in the world, tries to come to God with another religion, another gospel, and they have a man-made 
man-designed salvation program. They have performed some work, whether it be many works or the littlest work. It is polluted. It is a stinking stench in the nostrils of God. It is abhorrent to him. He will not smell it, nor accept it, and certainly not approve in any way. And and so he says, I will not smell. And the statement before that was, I despise your feast days. They maybe went through all the right motions, and just like the church goes through the motions of baptism, the motions of the Lord's table, the motions of preaching the gospel, and yet they have failed because Christ is not with them. They have turned the gospel into another gospel somewhere along the line, or God has simply departed from them as he has now in the case of the corporate church body. And therefore, whatever they're doing, Whatever activity they're involved in is unacceptable. It is not pleasing in any way to God. He just will not smell it. But on the other hand, let's go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus, the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And what would that be? It would be the Lord Jesus Christ having atoned for the sins of Epaphroditus and, 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 and therefore making Epaphroditus's offerings in his ministry likewise acceptable to the Father. Or, as it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. There is the essence of the sacrifice that Noah uh, is making. Uh, Noah was a child of God. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And uh, just as Abel in his generation, remember God required from Cain and Abel a sacrifice. And Cain, oh, he, he worked hard. Uh, he, he did much work in, in presenting his sacrifice. But God did not accept it. Remember that language? Let's go back to read about Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis 4, it says in verse 3, In process of time, and we saw in the Hebrew, that's literally in the end of days, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto Jehovah, and Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And Jehovah had respect unto Abel and to his offering. That, that is, we, we could word that another way and say that God accepted it. 
It was acceptable, the offering that Abel made. But then it goes on to say in verse 5, But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. God with Abel, it was like a sweet-smelling odor. With Cain, God refused the smell. He, he would not accept it. He accepted the one and not the other. And it all goes back to the foundation of the world for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is that sweet-smelling savor in God's nostrils. And Abel was covered by that sacrifice. His sins were paid for. Cain was not covered, and his sins were not paid for. And, and so Abel's sacrifice, uh, Abel was not trusting in the act of offering itself. He was trusting in what it pointed to and in the actual sacrifice at the foundation of the world. Same with Noah. Noah's not trusting in these things. He's trusting in the Messiah, in Christ, in the death that Christ died and in the payment that Christ made for him. And and so we read in Genesis 8.21, And Jehovah smelled a sweet savor. It goes on to say, And Jehovah said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Jehovah said in his heart. Now that language is not too common in the Bible. Why doesn't it just say, and Jehovah said, I will not again curse the ground anymore. But God tells us he said this in his heart. And I I searched and I found really only a couple of references. One is in... Psalm 33, where we read of the Lord um, speaking in his heart or, or the thoughts of his heart. It says in Psalm 33, beginning in verse 10, Jehovah bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of Jehovah standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Now, the thoughts of God's heart, and in the Bible, heart, mind, soul are synonymous. It, we could understand it. The thoughts of God's mind to all generations. And remember, in 1 Corinthians, uh, we're told that we have the mind of Christ. The Bible is the Word of God, but it's also a record of the thoughts of God, uh, of the thoughts of his heart, of the thoughts of his mind. And so when God said in his heart, you know, when we say something in our heart, we're thinking it. God is thinking this. It, it is something spoken inside of himself. And yet the Bible is, again, a record of the thoughts of God's heart. It, it is a recording. It is a revealing of the inward 
happenings or the the inward thought process of Almighty God, and really anywhere in the Bible that we read, is um, something that is going on within God's heart. And and here Jehovah said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for a man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. Now, the language here is uh, very unusual. Very unusual. It almost sounds like a reversal of the curse. Remember what God said to Adam in the day of his fall? Back in Genesis chapter 3, he said in verse 17, And unto Adam, he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Well, here in Genesis 8.21, God says, I will not curse the ground any more for man's sake. Now, does that mean after the flood that, that the ground is no longer cursed and we're living after the flood? Is not the ground, is not the earth cursed at this time? Well, of course it is. Of course it is. The curse is still upon the creation. It's upon everything, including the ground. So, you, you see, the statement almost, uh, it's awkward. It doesn't, doesn't seem to fit with the reality, but it does fit with the time at the end of this world and with the transition to the new world. God in Revelation, in Revelation 22 verse 3, and there shall be no more curse. And, and then it goes on to tell us about the glorious, wonderful new heaven and new earth. The, there's no curse upon that place, but the curse is upon this place, this earth. And yet, to agree with and and match the spiritual picture when the Lord smells the sweet savor and says in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. That really can only be applied at the new earth when this world ends and, and that world begins. Then... There will not be a curse anymore. And the wording, the way God is saying this, we, we can see how he's directing us or leading our gaze into the new heaven and new earth. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.